Amen. Well, welcome to week four of the good work. If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter four. You guys ready to get into God's word? Oh, I love the excitement. Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. If you are new, if you're just stepping in, we're in the middle of a series called The Good Work. The Good Work. Turn to someone next to you or close by. And if you don't have anybody next to you, you can just say, you have good work to do. Go ahead and tell them that. Online, the same thing. You have good work to do. I love, I love, that, I love that story about Nathan little Nathan that you just saw on the video, saving his dollars and his quarters and his pennies. And uh, I asked Pastor Nicholas, he told me the story on our Monday morning meeting. I said, man, would you mind sharing that with our church? Because the, the reason why I love it is it really represents the heartbeat of, of LifePoint. And as we continue to raise money for Heart for the House, please know this, okay? I just, I, I want to make sure, I don't think I've done a good job of communicating this. I want to emphasize it. Please know that our goal, our ultimate goal, is not to raise $75,000, okay? That's what it's going to cost us to remodel the church and do all the repairs and all of this, the stuff that we have to do. I mean, we could have, we could have one person just write a check for $75,000, and that would be fantastic. I would appreciate that. But I want you to know my heart, okay? I don't think we would be reaching our goal. My, my heart as your pastor, like I've always, I've always believed that God pays the bills of a soul winning church. And I, I, don't, like, I don't have to worry about like finances as a pastor if we're doing what God calls us to do, which is reach people. And so please understand my heart. My heart behind Heart for the House is that, that we would pray, Lord, what am I going to give you, right? Like Christmas, it's like, it'll be here before we know it. Can you believe it? End of the year, it's here, December, you know? And my, my heart is that every single one of us, and if you're watching online, same for you, that we would say, okay, we're celebrating Christmas. It's Jesus' birthday. What, Lord, what would you have me? Like, make it a personal, and we've said whether you're 8 or 80 years old. Like, Lord, and that's, that's what I challenge my, 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 uh, my kids. I have three of them, by the way. Last week I said, or two weeks ago I said I had two. I have three. <laughs> three. <laughs> they let me know, okay, when I make mistakes. It's funny, you know. Um, my heart is that, that we would all ask, okay, Lord, what would you, we're celebrating your birthday. What would you have me give? And, uh, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir. So many of you have already given so much. You've sacrificed so much. I don't know if you've heard um, the number yet, but we have raised, does, does anybody know? We've raised over, can we put it on the screen? We've raised over $40,000 for, for our little church. That's a huge win. Um, the most we've ever raised before from uh, Thanksgiving till the end of the year is 15000 okay? We're not even done with the rest of the year. I know several of you, you're, you're planning to give, and so um, I, I feel like, man, that, that's the win. It's not, you know, that 75 is what's going to cost, but the win is like, Lord, what would you have me give? And for some of you, it may be $10. That's perfectly fine. For some of you, if you're here today and you're like, look, I, I don't feel like God's asking me to give anything, that's perfectly fine. We will love you no matter what. Um, man, I am super excited. I have not, um, I have not had a chance to show you the rendering um, because it's, it just take a, it took a little bit longer. The guy that was working on the rendering of what the church is going to look like, 
um, he got sick. He had to have surgery. So that took him out for a little bit. And then the, the pro- he gave the project to someone else. And that person went out of town uh, last week for Thanksgiving. And so I finally, or two weeks ago, whenever Thanksgiving was, but I finally was able to get the, a picture of what we're going for. And so I want to show it to you. So currently, this is what the church um, looks like today. Okay, and you can see that the brick looks uh, like a faded shade of pink. It's been worn out. Um, the landscaping is is dated. Um, the pillars I've mentioned the pillars several times. The parking lot you can't really see it on the picture, but it's it's really a mess. Okay, so that's what that's what we have currently. The look that we're going for, and again, this is a rendering, so it's not necessarily a hundred percent. But the look that we're going for is this. Take a look. Uh, as you can see, we're going we're gonna to stain the brick. We're going to stain it gray. Um, we learned that we're not painting it because if you paint it, you will get 15 to 18 years out of it. Um, if you stain it, it'll last a lot longer. And so we're going to stain it. Um, we're going to remove the pillars um, uh, and replace those. We're going to replace them with cedar columns. Uh, and hopefully we'll make them look a little bit uh, more updated. Uh, we're going to work on the landscape. And that's not necessarily we, we're working with a different contractor for, for landscape but we're gonna we're um we're gonna work on the landscape remodel all that uh one of the things i don't know if you've heard i mentioned it to our volunteers several weeks ago and it's kind of been around uh we're gonna remove the steeple now you say like why are you gonna remove the steeple well it doesn't serve its original purpose and you say like what what were steeples created for well steeples were created to attract people to church okay that's like that's the bottom line but back in the day um, the steeple was the highest structure in town. It, was, it, would, it would often house a bell, and they would ring the bell, okay? They would sound that, that sound. The purpose of it was uh, they, they would use it as an attraction, attraction getter to get people to church. Nowadays, it's a dated architectural design. Uh, it doesn't serve its original purpose. And you know what? I, here's a, this, personally, I highly doubt that a steeple is going to attract anybody like Nathan, for example. Little Nathan, you saw him on the video? I I really highly doubt that a steeple is going to bring somebody like little Nathan to church. And so they don't serve its original purpose. You've heard me say before that in order for us to reach people we have not reached before, we have to be willing to do things that we have not done before. Personally, I believe that traditional old-looking churches can actually be a stumbling block. I, I have experienced it myself. When I came from Florida, we met at a high school, and we were able to reach hundreds. The average baptisms that we had was 100. That's, that's, on average, we, we had about 100 people that we would baptize every year. And one of the biggest things for us was that we were meeting at a school. And, and so people, people that, were, that are far from God, like, like one of our challenges here in East Texas, so as a pastor, let me kind of, I'm giving you a lot of the behind the scenes, and we'll get into the message here in a little bit. Nehemiah chapter 4, so go ahead and turn there um, as I'm talking. But one of the challenges for us as a church in East Texas, I came here four years ago. As a pastor, one of my jobs is to study the culture. It's like a missionary. You go to Africa, like as a missionary, you want to learn their language, their customs. You want to learn the culture. You go to South, South America, the same thing, right? When I came to East Texas, here's what I quickly learned. People 
have attended church. Our challenge as a church is not that people haven't been to church. The vast majority of the people that I invite to church, I ask them, hey, um, you know, like, do you, have you been to church? Like, and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I go to church, and they'll name a church, or they'll try to remember a church. I've, I have a follow-up question here. Like, I always ask, like, who, what's the pastor's name? They can never remember. The problem that we have is not that people haven't been to church. The problem that we have is that they've been to church, and they're dissatisfied with the church because the church hasn't loved people where they're at. And so if we want to reach people that we have not reached before, we have to be willing to do things that we have not done before. It's the reason why years ago, before I came to this church, Pastor Steve, how many of you remember Pastor Steve? Would you raise your hand? Okay, so many of you know him. Great man, man of God. I love him to death. Pastor, years ago, Pastor Steve said, you know what? Same vision, we're going to reach people. He said, we're going to change our name. And I don't know if those of you who may not know, our name used to be Dixie Baptist. Okay? And there, at that time, there was a lot of people that said, oh, we can't get rid of the Baptist. We can't get rid of the Dixie. You know, that's our identity. That's our name. You know, that's the name that we've had. And said, you know what? We've got to do this to reflect who we are on the inside. It's the reason why um, we remodel our kids' wing. If you go to that wing, that's hellhole, okay? You go to that wing, much nicer, okay? So if you're a first-time guest here today, go to that wing. We'll work on that one sometime in the future, but don't go there, okay? We only put people that don't behave like that's where we take them. They never, they never come back. Um, just, just joking. Uh, but it's the same reason why our music has changed throughout the years. It's the reason why we have so many young people. When you look at the demographics of LifePoint, it's a young church. I like it that way. I'm not getting any younger, but I want to reach more young people. I don't want it to be my church. It's the, we call them the now generation. There, a lot of people, a lot of churches call them the future generation. I don't know. Nathan, he's the now generation. Nathan, this is your church. You look back there, and often you will find young kids, 12, 13, 14-year-old kids serving. Sometimes they're a little bit behind on the lyrics, and they're like on the, like the, you know. Yeah, let's give it up for our kids. Thank you. You know what? We will, we're willing to put up with a little bit of that. Because we believe that this is their church. And so we're all about the now generation. And I cannot wait um, to see what God will do in the days ahead for us as, at LifePoint. Just, just want to kind of, I know on any given Sunday we'll have tons of guests. So let me just share this. Um, for us here, it's not about personal preference. Please know that. It's about purpose. So as a church, one of, one of our core values is we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know God. And I know, I can tell you story after story after story of people who come to me and say, man, I have a tattoo, I, don't, I feel like they're going to judge me, or the preacher, that preacher, this is the reason why I don't wear a suit and tie. You know, oh, that preacher, they're going to judge me. They're, they they're going to look down on me. And if we can make it just a little, this is the reason why we launched online. When COVID hit, I mean, we went all full blast online. We invested a lot of our whole stage design. It changed, not for us, not for us, but for, for the people who are not in this room. I mean, last time I checked, there's still empty chairs, right? And so we want to do whatever it takes, anything short of sin. To reach people who don't know 
God. All right, enough of that. So Nehemiah chapter 4. Let me give you a 30-second recap of where we've been, and, and we'll get into it. Man, I have a great message for you, and I have 18 minutes to get it all in. So Nehemiah chapter 4. Who's Nehemiah? He's just a regular guy. What I love about this is that this guy is not a preacher. This guy is not a priest. He's not a king. He's not a warrior. He's just an average, everyday kind of person. And so if you've ever wondered, like, can God use me? The answer is absolutely. God not only can use you, but he wants to use you. And so Nehemiah is just a regular guy who's desperate, who's desperate to be used by God. He wants to be used by God. So what's going on? 140 years before he's born, the Babylonians come in. They attacked his people, God's people. The women were raped. The city was burned to the ground. The men were held in bondage. The children were taken away uh, from their homeland, not just the children, but the women, the, the men, like everybody, like captive for years. Decades later, about 50,000 Jews are able to make it back to Jerusalem. Okay, So they make it back, and they're trying to rebuild the city. But they're not able to because there's no wall. And back in the day, if you had a wall around your city, it, it would, it, you had protection. It would prevent you. Okay, It's like living in a home without a door. Like none of us do that, right? Like when you build a, a home, you're going to put walls and you're going to put a door. And so, so they have no doors. They have, they're totally open, totally vulnerable. And Nehemiah, who's a thousand miles away, God puts it in his heart to help his people. It says, we've seen them, and they're struggling. They're trying to rebuild, but they're not making progress because the enemy comes in the night and destroys the progress that they're making. And so he puts, God puts it in his heart. I'm going to do it. I'm not a priest. I'm not a warrior. I'm not a builder. But God, you're putting this in my heart. I can get it done, and I will mobilize people to do it. And so here's what I want you to understand. And I've said it every week that I preach in the, during this series. I've said it. Anytime you lead, God, God leads you, I should say, to do something meaningful. Anytime that God puts something in your heart to make a lasting impact, okay? I'm talking about like something that will last longer than you, something that is beneficial to the community. Anytime that you say, you know what, I want to make a difference with my life. I want to do something that will benefit someone else other than, than me. Anytime you do that, you can pretty much expect opposition, all right? You will face spiritual resistance. You will, you will encounter obstacles. Why? Because the enemy does not bother those who are not a threat. You're not a threat. <laughs> you know, like, he doesn't need to come after you. It's the moment that you do something significant that's, that's going to make an eternal impact. It's that moment. It's the moment that you decide to be generous. It's that moment that all of a sudden all alarms are going off and it's like, you're a threat. I'm taking you out. I'm coming after you. And so the title of the message today is How to Deal with Opposition. How do you deal with opposition? I believe all of us have to deal with opposition 
Um, like, I, I don't think there's a single person that does not deal with adversity of some sort. Maybe it's your boss giving you a hard time. Maybe it's your spouse not supporting you. It could be a child that's not behaving. It, it could be the worry of, like, unforeseeable circumstances, the, the worry of the unknown. It may be somebody that you employed. It may be a coworker. It may be somebody that's gossiping, uh, that's kind of putting your name through, through the mud. How do you deal with opposition? Well, that's what Nehemiah is going to teach us today. And so we're in chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what Nehemiah, this is Nehemiah speaking. Here's, this is what he says. Verse 1, so it says this. Let's put it on the screen. Sembalat was very angry. Sembalat is one of the bad guys, okay? Um, he's, he's very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends... And the Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Now, help me out, church. Let's, let's, let's read this one word together. What does this bunch of poor, what's the next word? Feeble Jews think they're doing. What, what do you think you're doing? That word feeble means, you know what that means? This is what, this is what I brought a little object lesson. It means this. That were feeble. Can you guys see what this is? I don't know if you can see. It's a dead flower. It has been cut off. All right. It is lifeless. Okay. That's what that word feeble means. So what they're saying to them is, you are hopeless. You are lifeless. That um, they're facing, and this is true. They are facing an impossible situation. This is not an easy thing to rebuild this well with the enemies, with the people that they had. They did not have a whole lot of resources. And so the enemy, have you ever been there, by the way? Like, has the enemy put that, like, thought in your mind? Like, you're dealing with an impossible situation? Maybe some of you are there right now as I speak. And you're like, I'm dealing with so-and-so. And I'm dealing, and it's, it's work. It's a green card. It's, it's the relationship. It's the kids. And you're like... God, I don't know. This seems like it's impossible to deal with. Mental health, I mean, depression, anxiety, drugs. It could be an addiction. And you're like, Lord, I feel like I'm between a rock and a hard place. That's what that word feeble means. I took a picture of this this week when I was working on it. That's what it looked like early on this week. And so they're saying, you've been caught off. You're lifeless. You're not, there's no chance for you. That's exactly what the enemy does. He'll question you. He will bring doubts, criticism. Man, that's a big one. Let's read verse 2. Do they think, here's what they're saying, do they think they can build a wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? So they've worshipped. That's their way, that was way, their way of worship. And then they're thinking, do you think that you can just worship something? You feel like you can just give something to the Lord and everything's going to be good? Who do you think you are? Do they actually think that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones and that? Like, can they bring the stones back to life? Like, do you think, who are you kidding? You can't do this. Verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked that stone wall would collapse if even a fox, I love the picture, if even a fox, if, uh, if even a fox would walk along the top of it, if even just a fox would walk, it would collapse. You don't have anything. Who do you think you are? Verse 4, then I 
what? Prayed. Prayed. Wow. I love Nehemiah. Whew. Then I prayed. Here's what I want you to learn. Number one, when you face opposition, your voice validates your critics. Your voice has the potential to empower, to validate your critics. Anytime you do something that glorifies God, you can pretty much set the calendar, set it on your calendar. You will face opposition. You'll have critics, you'll have naysayers, you'll have haters, you'll have people gossiping, you'll have people that doubt you, question you, anytime. Any single time that you say, I'm going to do something for God, that will happen. Now, notice what Nehemiah does not do. He does not answer them. You know, like, look, look in your Bibles. The first couple of verses, like, he does not respond. He does not defend himself. Why? Because your response is not necessarily going to convert your critics. Your acknowledgement of when you acknowledge your critics, you're actually giving them power. It's Jesus before Pilate. Remember the story of Matthew 27? You know, it says that the elders and the chief priest and the leading priest and all of that, they were accusing Jesus. And the Bible says, but he remained silent. Pontius Pilate, like Pilate couldn't understand. What, what, what are you doing? Like, I have the power to give you life or to take it away. Like, I'm about to release Barabbas. Like, you need to speak up. Say something. Say something. Like, like, like his words are like, do you, do you hear all these charges they're bringing against you? That's what he's telling Jesus. Don't you hear? And, and the Bible says, it says this, but Jesus made no response to any of the charges much to the governor's surprise. So he releases Barabbas, turns Jesus over into the Romans. The Romans grab sticks. They're beating him over the head. They're putting a crown of thorns on his head. They're putting a fake robe on him. They're spitting on him, pulling his beard. And the Bible says, watch, when they were finally tired of mocking him, when they were tired of mocking him. They mocked him to the point where they just could not go any longer. It was then that they released him to be crucified. And Jesus never said a word. So, if Jesus and Nehemiah teaches this principle, why is it that you always have to have a comeback? Why do you have to have the last word? Ouch, that hurt, Pastor. <laughs> Why do you have to have why do you have to have a comment? Social media. <laughs> Cannot believe they said that. <laughs> right? Why do you why do you have to um, have the last say with your spouse? With your coworkers? What do you why do you always do you do you feel like you like there's a need to always have a say in everything? There are times where God's word teaches us just be quiet. Turn it to the Lord. He can handle them. He can handle the situation. Then I, help me out. Then I prayed. Then I prayed. It's, I love it. It's simple. It's easy. It's God honoring. There's this whole world that's collapsing in front of Nehemiah. And what does he say? Then I prayed. I prayed. I prayed. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. At last, the wall was completed to half of its height around the entire city. 
I've been there. It's not a small wall. It's huge. For the people had worked with enthusiasm. I love that. They had worked with enthusiasm. So number one, your voice often validates your critics. You don't always have to have a response. Number two, watch this. Your external opposition, your external opposition is only as loud as your internal insecurities. Let me, let me say that again, okay? Your external opposition is only as loud as your internal insecurities. Again, this is not a small wall. Justin, last week he said the wall was like the thickness of the wall at its, at its um, the, the smallest width, I guess, was eight feet, okay? That's, that's not like around the city, but that's like the, the thickness of the wall. The widest portion was 26 feet. So we're not talking about a small, tiny little wall that, you know, drywall and then, you know, and then done. No, no, we're talking about like tremendous work, okay? And it says that the people finished half of the height of the wall around the entire city because they worked with what? Enthusiasm. Yeah, that, you know where we get our English word for enthusiasm? It comes from two Greek words. Is the word en in the Greek, and the word, does anybody know? The word theos. So you have en, which means in, and you have theos, which means God. In other words, in God. They were able to, this is a huge accomplishment. They were able to finish half of the height around the entire city because they knew who was in them. The Bible says, that if you know, if you're a Jesus follower, you should know who is in you. The God of the universe chose to send his spirit to reside in you. So regardless of what you're going through, that's, that's the mindset. That's the mindset. How does this relate? How does, how does it apply to you? Okay, so like today. So maybe you were on your way to church today and you haven't been, you haven't connected. It's been, you're kind of dry, you know, spiritually. You've kind of, kind of not been in church for a while or whatever. And uh, it's the first time. And on your way to church, you get into an argument with your spouse. Has that ever happened? And it's like one thing after the next. And it's something super petty, but it leads to like, like some words. And then you come in, and you praise Jesus, and you raise your hand, and you know. <laughs> but the truth is that just minutes ago, you had this huge argument, okay? So what do you do? Do you, feel, do you like say, like, oh, man, I'm a hypocrite. I shouldn't. I'm done. I'm, I'm going to walk out. Well, maybe you can do that, but I'll tell you a better option, okay? Because all of us are a little bit of a hypocrite, right? Like, right? Yes? Anybody? Yeah, give me a yes. Okay. We say no perfect people allowed, remember? <laughs> Do we need to excommunicate anybody here that thinks they're perfect? Only Jesus gets 100. Only Jesus gets 100. But what do we do when you mess up? Well, you own it. You own, man, I, honey, I'm sorry. I said some things that you own it. You apologize. You move forward. And you're not going to lose momentum because you know who's in you. In, in you. It could be that you're trying to get out of debt. And you've said, like, we're going to pay off those, these, like, man, bills are like mounting. Like, and that's a God thing. That's the vision that God's given you. It's like, we've got to get rid of debt. 
you know? And the moment that you declare it, because it's a good thing, it's a godly thing, it's a spiritual thing, the moment that you declare it, man, all hell breaks loose, right? The car breaks down, the refrigerator goes out, uh, an unexpected medical bill comes your way, and then you're like, like $700 bill to pay, you know? What are you going to do? You're going to give up? You're going to say, oh, no, you know, life is horrible. No, no, no. You know who lives, who resides in you. I, I saw a sign the other day, and I think it kind of, it's, a, it's not a, really a spiritual sign, uh, but I kind of feel like it represents the heart behind the message. Whatever you do today, do it with the confidence of a four-year-old in a Batman t-shirt. I love that. <laughs> you know? That's kind of what we're going for here, right? And so that kind of gets the point across. Your external opposition is only as loud as your internal insecurities. That's why David, the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, this passage is really interesting. Because if you keep reading, within three verses, the attack continues and the people get discouraged. And all of a sudden, that enthusiasm kind of goes away a little bit, and they begin to complain. And it, it really shows us that, like, that's a picture of human beings. We have our ups, we have our downs, okay? It's not just you. It's, I mean, you see it all over. But in the book of Nehemiah, the first uh, seven, six chapters, there are seven, if we can put the next slide up, there are seven attempts to stop Nehemiah's work. And I think this is super interesting. In six, cha in six chapters, short six chapters there's seven attempts to stop the work okay like in chapter two he's mocked the people are mocked chapter four that's where we're are today again they mocked him uh verse seven through 23 they threatened with the military attack versus uh, chapter six verse one through four they attempted to lure nehemiah outside um jerusalem uh, chapter 6, verse 5 through 9, they're bringing false charges against him. They're lying about him. Uh, verse 6 through 14, there's corruption. They're paying people to false, to, um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny, but uh, they're paying them to prophesy falsely about Nehemiah so they can discredit him. Uh, verse 17 through 19, they had to deal, like he had to deal with some spies, the people that were kind of looking behind his back and spying on Nehemiah and on, on the work. He's getting letters to frighten him. And so what does that tell you? What it tells me is that, like, the attack doesn't just come once and then it's, it's done, over with. The attack come in comes in stages, okay? Like when Jesus was attacked right like he's fasting for 40 days 40 nights the bible says he's getting ready for his public ministry okay that's why he fasted and then immediately so he's doing something that uh, monumental right immediately that's when the enemy comes because you're not a threat if you're not doing anything for the lord and so immediately the enemy comes attacks him and the bible says after the three at least three times that we know of after he's t uh, tempted three times, the Bible says that the enemy left Jesus, but it doesn't say, like, left him and that's it. No, no. It says he left him for a more opportune time. He left him for a better time. He left him so he can come back and hit him again at a different time. And so that's, that's sort of what's happening here. Uh, the attack comes in stages. And so look at what happens. Verse 7. Verse 7, um, but when Sinbalat and Tobiah 
and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites, I mean, this is like a whole group of people, heard that the work was going ahead and the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired. They were furious. You saw that in the first few verses again. Uh, so they also, verse 8, they also, they all made plans to come and fight Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to go like that to your brain. Throw you into confusion, okay? Verse 9, but we prayed to our God and guarded the city. They're doing a good thing. Guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Have you ever been in a place where you even, like you're even praying and uh, you feel like the attack still keeps coming? And you're like doing all the, you're checking all, all the boxes. You're tithing. You're showing up to church. You're serving. You're doing everything right. But the attacks keep coming. And sometimes it's like, I don't even know if it's worth it. I don't even know why I'm praying. I mean, what's the point anymore? They're doing what's right. But look at the next verse. Verse 10. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers, they're getting tired. And there's so much rubble to be moved. We, we will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. They can't be done. We just can't do it. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said that? Have you ever heard that? Like we can't, It's impossible. It can't be done. They lost enthusiasm. It happens. It happens. You're a human being. You're not a machine. So don't beat yourself over the head when it happens, okay? doesn't do any good to beat yourself that's not going to help I've, trust me I've, I've done it I've lost hair over it <laughs> here's the third and last lesson from Nehemiah praise and worship should not be the thing that moves us praise and worship next slide should not be the, same, should not be the thing that moves us the thing that moves you should be God right the one to move you is what he thinks of you not what you th what they think of you and so we're going to kind of wrap it up i'm going to ask our worship team to get in place verse 14 then as i looked over the situation i called together the nobles the rest of the people and i said to them don't be afraid of the enemy remember the lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers your sons your daughters your wives your homes so the message that nehemiah is sending out is Remember what God has done and keep fighting. Okay, that's the message in short. Remember what God has done and keep fighting for your children. Remember what God has done. Like remember like how he provided for you years ago? Okay, remember and then keep fighting to get out of debt. Remember what he did to the, with that person, how they, like, man, God rescued them. They had that addiction, and he came through. Like he can do it again. So remember what he's done and then keep fighting. And you can fill in the blank. Keep fighting for your marriage. Keep fighting for the ministry that he's given you. Keep fighting to get out of debt. Keep fighting for the grandkids. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Remember and keep fighting. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plan and that God had frustrated them. Watch this. Watch this. I love this. We all, that's the heart behind, heart for the house. We all return to our work on the wall all verse 17 the laborers carry on their work with one hand supporting with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding the weapon you see do you get the picture the laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting the load and one hand holding the weapon what that tells me is that they were focused. Focus is such a 
big thing in our world. It is probably the one thing we struggle with the most because there are so many distractions this time of the year for sure they were focused they were driven they were resilient yeah they stumbled for a moment but they were not knocked down forever during this time none of us not I nor my relatives nor my servants nor the guards who were with me ever took off our clothes we carried our weapons with us at all times even when we went for water and Nehemiah the cupbearer that was that was his job becomes a warrior becomes a builder becomes you could even say an inspirational preacher leading a group of people why because he did not allow praise or criticism to be the thing that moved him only God should be the one to move us and so I'm not going to let praise get in my head I'm not going to let criticism get in my heart I'm not, I'm not going to be moved by what people think. I'm going to be moved by what God thinks of me. And Nehemiah knows that he doesn't answer to his critics. He answers to God. And so instead of engaging at a lower level, he turns to a higher power. Time and time and time again. I'll leave you with this. If, you don't, if you're not a note taker, you want to you write this one down. Okay? If you are, I know you will. You'll write it down. But here it is. I'll leave you with this quote. When God is your audience, the opinion of people are no longer your sustenance. Write it down. When God is your audience, the opinion of your critics is no longer your sustenance. Let's pray. I wonder how many of you, as we pray, I wonder how many of you, you're dealing with some sort of opposition right now. That's by and eyes closed. How many of you would say, Pastor, right now, I'm the, I see your hand, ma'am. Anyone else? I see that hand. Yes, sir. I see your hand. Love that. Love how children even respond to the message. Anyone else? If you're facing some sort of opposition right now, and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand? See that hand. God sees your, your heart. What a great reminder. God, thank you so much that our voice, Lord, we don't always have to have a say, Lord, because it can validate. It has the potential to empower our critics. God, thank you for the reminder that our external opposition is only as loud as our internal insecurities. Lord, the God of the universe, Father, like in all of your power, you have chosen to take residence in us. We should have nothing to fear. Nothing is impossible with you. And so God, remind us of that truth today. And Lord, thank you for the reminder that you're, we're not going to allow praise or criticism to move us because we answer to you. You're the ultimate authority in our lives. And so God, we, I lift up to you all those who are struggling, who are facing opposition. God, I pray that they would put it in their hearts, God, to study the book of Nehemiah. What a great book on serving you and leading others. 
And so, God, we dedicate our lives with everything that we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand?